Well, good morning. It is a joy to see you guys post-Thanksgiving in the stretch run of the semester. I love this time of year, other than the fact that you guys have finals. Uh, it's pretty fun. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, so if you have your Bibles, turn there, Matthew 6. Uh, as you're turning there, let me remind you guys just of a few quick announcements. The first is this, that next Sunday actually is our last Sunday of the fall semester. So, single tier, I know. Uh, so next Sunday will be our last time to be together for the fall, and so we'll have the last chance to kind of be with table hosts and have a chance to pray for the, uh, the winter break and all, and so we look forward to see you guys next Sunday before that winter break. Uh, and speaking of the holiday season, we have our Christmas party coming up December 12th, which is Friday night, 6 to 9, uh, at 1312 Tim Drive. You're probably going to remember that address, but if you simply will park on the back side of the Anderson Campus Sanctuary building, that home is going to be backing up into the parking lot. The fence will be open where we're going to be having our Christmas party. So we would love to have you guys come. If you want to blow off a little steam and get away from studying for finals, it's Friday night. Come on, people. You're not studying, all right? We'd love to have you. Speaking of studying, we realize that most of the time you will be studying in the next 10 days. And so we, uh, every semester the last few years, have been doing kind of our Grace Coffee House. So uh, we realize that most of the coffee shops in town are going to be completely packed with no plugs, and you're trying to find a seat. And so what we do is we transform this space so that you guys have a place to come study. Uh, We will have Wi-Fi for free. We will have coffee at a small cost, and we will have plugs and outlets everywhere, all right? So if you need a place to study for finals and you want to help us raise money for college missions, what a more beautiful place to do that than Grace Coffee House. All right, so uh, we're going to be doing that Thursday, December 11th from 2 p.m. to 1 a.m. and also Monday, December 15th from 2 p.m. to 1 a.m. We'll be right here uh, in Southwood College Auditorium. So we'd love to have you guys come. It'll be a really fun time. We'll have the coffee brewing. We'll have great pastries, all kinds of sugar kind of stuff to get you hopped up, all right, before the sugar crash, which will be here then to talk with you and help you revive, all right? So... (laughs) Uh, we're looking forward. I didn't think that was going to be that funny, but all right. Uh, we're going to be here with you guys. We'd love to suffer with you guys those two days. Uh, also, uh, if you guys, speaking of college missions, if you guys do not yet have summer plans as you're looking at this upcoming summer, summer one especially, uh, we hit this for you guys in October, mentioned it to you guys, and we'll mention it a lot to you guys when you guys get back in the spring. Uh, but we have mission trips in summer one that go to East Asia. They go to and they go to Greece. And so if you are unsure yet what you're doing this summer, love for you to consider possibly going with us on one of these summer mission trips. I promise you it will be one of those life-changing moments that changes the way that you see the Lord, that changes the way that you see the world. And so if you're still kind of wrestling through that, winter break is a great opportunity to talk with your parents, kind of give them a heads up of, hey, I'm considering this so you don't freak them out the night before the application is due, all right? Not loving to do to them, all right? So, uh, and if you're interested, one of the great things you could do is we want to help give you guys some more information if you're still kind of going what are these trips? What's going on? We have a webpage about it all, but still it's kind of hard to maybe get all the information. So if you are interested or want to know more about any of these summer mission trips, a great thing to do is simply let your table host know. Uh, they can kind of collect your name and your email and your phone number, and we can kind of get back in contact with you. Uh, you don't have to sign up in the dotted line yet, all right? But if you just want information, we'd love to do that for you guys and let you know more about it. So simply before the morning's over, let your table host know, and then they can let us know. And we'll try to give you guys some information before you head home to talk to mom and dad about these trips. But awesome opportunities. Uh, we would love you guys, before you graduate, to have seen the nations and to have stepped overseas at some point, at least one of your summers. Completely life-changing opportunity that will change the way that you see the Great Commission, the way that you see the church, and the way that you see even the nations at large the rest of your life, no matter what vocation you're going to have. We'd love for you to consider that.
Also, if you're not necessarily, if you're actually graduating and not just unsure about this summer, but unsure about next year and the great unknown after that, I wanted to highlight a couple different opportunities for you guys. One is our Grace Fellows program. It's kind of our internship program here at church. So if you are thinking about full-time ministry, unsure what that's like, uh, we have an internship program here that I think is phenomenal. We've been doing it for almost 20 years and have continued to tweak it and hone it. Uh, We kind of have started to call it the Grace Fellows program. So if you want to know more about that, you can simply go to www.grace-bible.org slash fellows. Applications went up online this Friday for it. And so a great opportunity to see ministry vocationally and to get involved with it. Uh, And uh, not just our Grace Fellows program, but even overseas. We have a stint program as well. And so if you want to see full-time ministry, if you want to get overseas and see it, not just for a summer, but also potentially for an entire year, something that Marcy and I did for two whole years after we even, I did seminary. Again, completely life-changing. Uh, we're going to continue to try to put the nations in front of you. and want to challenge you to consider what God is doing in the nations at large and not just here in College Station. And so there's a couple great opportunities. One, summer mission trips. Two, stint. If you're looking at post-college, um, one look at a year potentially. Great opportunities. Matthew 6 is where we're going to be this morning if you have your Bibles. Matthew 6. And I'll tell you guys, as we kind of jump into these next 10 days, I think typically this is the stretch run to the end of the semester. This is typically where I find for you guys... Stress levels reach unbeknownst proportions. Sleep begins to descend as coffee intake begins to ascend. Uh, And then you kind of begin to get in this season where the weirdest things seem to happen. You haven't cleaned your dorm or apartment the entire semester, but all of a sudden you now seem like you want to clean, right? Anything to avoid studying. Uh, Some of you are like, you haven't exercised one lick all semester, and all all of a sudden now you like want to train for a marathon, right? Right now. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I'll tell you guys, I think, uh, I I feel like this point in the year, we always see the weirdest, weirdest, weirdest things as people handle the stress that comes in this season. I remember when we were a student, we had a friend, God bless him, but he had the greatest idea to walk into uh, libraries and pull a prank on people unbeknownst and sometimes strangers to him. And his intent was to help kind of relieve everyone's stress. And here's what he would do. He'd come up behind an unsuspecting dude or girl sitting in the library in a cubicle, kind of locked in on everything that's going on, chemistry, physics, whatever it is, all right? And what he would do is this. He'd come up behind her quietly or him, all right? And he would take his shirt and he would extend his shirt up over the person's head and then squeeze the person toward his stomach. Now, imagine if you're locked in on chemistry, trying to crank some physics problem out, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, complete darkness, a fabric clothing and pressing against your face so you cannot breathe. And what was hilarious was to watch it from behind, all right? Because you'd see this person now freaking out, arms violently flailing everywhere, completely stressed out to a new level. For the rest of us, we're laughing hysterically and all of the stress is relieved because look at this Porsche Tamak, right? But he would do this over and over and over again, right? He would kind of let us know where it was going to happen. So some of us would kind of try to follow behind and just kind of watch it unfold. Uh, I, I remember I had a couple friends too, uh, our time in college, and I don't know if it's still this way, but the Med Science Library was, at least in my time, probably the most stressful or more serious, rigorous study place. Like, talking wasn't even allowed. You could get kicked out if you were creating hijinks, all right? And so I had a friend who thought it'd be really hilarious to create uh, some humor for his other friend who was studying pre- prior to a medical school and decided to take his shirt off completely in the library, just waiting for his friend to turn around and lose it, which finally he would do, but it took a little bit of time because ladies were passing by, people were passing by <laughs> seeing the shirtless dude studying. But again, Weirdest, weirdest things happen in these next 10 days. Uh, If there is a thought or if there's an emotion that's going to go on more in these next 10 days, it's stress, it's anxiety, and it's worry, worry. And what I want to do for you guys this morning as we jump into Matthew chapter 6 is in the midst of all the crazy things you're going to see happen, every single one of us is going to feel some level of stress in the next 10 days. 
some level of worry about our circumstances. And what I want to do in Matthew chapter 6, I think probably one of the most famous, one of the most poignant passages on the human tendency to worry. I want to show you what Jesus is going to say about worry. And I want it to be a grid. I want it to be a prism by which you continue to look at the next 10 days of your life with Matthew 6 in mind. Three basic questions I want to ask and I want to answer this morning. Here's what they are. A, what is worry? How do you define worry? What is it? Secondly, why is worry so bad? Why is worry so bad? And then lastly, how do we avoid worry? What is worry? Why is it so bad? And how do we avoid it? That's where we're going to go this morning. Matthew chapter 6. I want to begin with you guys in verse 25. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me. Matthew 6, 25. Jesus says this. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Jesus' uh, point here is his command is incredibly simple. It's simply this, do not be worried about your life. Uh, In the midst of the next 10 days, (laughs) I think such a command, frankly, to many of us probably seems a little unrealistic to not be worried Worry is going to be the natural, the inevitable, uh, frankly, the common experience a lot of you guys are going to have over the next 10 days. And yet Jesus is going to say here, do not be worried. Do not be worried. I want to define for you what worry actually is. Here's how Webster's defines the word worry. It says to think about problems or fears, to feel or show fear and concern because you think that something bad has happened or something bad could happen known as failing your finals, right? That's kind of what's driving a lot of you right now. And so that what worry really is, is, is an activity of the mind and the heart in which you think, you ponder, and you feel fear about a problem or something that could happen, a problem or a possibility, something that may not even happen at all. But that worry drives a lot of our thinking. It drives a lot of our activity. And even as we look at that word through the scriptures, we're going to see it defined sometimes positively, and we're going to see it sometimes defined negatively. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to refer to this activity, and he's going to say, do not be worried. It's a state of mind that you should not be in. You need to avoid it. It's something you should not be walking in. We'll look at why that is a little bit later. But we find that not just in Matthew 6. Jesus will also say in Matthew chapter 10, he says, when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say. That if you were to be imprisoned by other authorities, do not be worried about what you're going to say. And uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says it like this, Be anxious for nothing. Again, let that be a resounding uh, sound in your mind as you walk through the next 10 days. It seems absolutely preposterous and maybe for some of us unrealistic to not be anxious, <laughs> to not be worried. Really, as you think about worry, that sometimes in the scriptures it does show up negatively. Even as you think about movies or TV shows, uh, there are characters that are sometimes portrayed as over-warriors, right? All they do is worry. They're a worry wart. As I was thinking about that this week, one of the characters that came to mind uh, comes from the iconic movie. And again, we have kids, so this is where we live. But Finding Nemo. All right, here's a clip for you guys of Finding Nemo's dad, all right? Where's Dave's Lucky. Let's see. 
Are you sure you want to go to school this year? Because there's no problem if you don't. You can wait five or six years. Come on, Dad. It's time for school. Uh-uh-uh. Forgot to brush. Oh. Do you want this anemone to sting you? Yes. Brush. Okay, I'm done. Up, oh, you missed a spot. Where? There. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as you think about that movie, I feel like his dad is a constant worrier. All that his dad does is seem to worry about what could happen to little, little precious Nemo. Some of you are like that dad, right? Some of you, uh, not just in finals, but some of you guys are by nature worrywarts. What you do by definition, what you do by vocation is that you are a warrior always about what could be or possibilities that could ensue. It's interesting as you walk through Matthew, as you walk through Philippians, that it'll be that activity, it'll be that picture that Jesus will say, do not be, do not do. In fact, though, what's really interesting, though, is as you walk through the scriptures, that sometimes that activity that we're talking about is good. It's not that worry is always bad. Uh, actually, as you look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul will say this, thinking of worry or this kind of idea of concern as a good thing. He says, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. But in Philippians 2, verse 20, this idea, this thinking, this feeling is actually a good thing. You get the same idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, when Paul says, God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that, to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. It's really interesting. Uh, in those five passages that I quickly read to you, it's always the same Greek word that's getting translated in a different way. In a couple of the gospel passages I read to you, as it's seen in a negative connotation, it's translated as worry. But when it's seen in a positive connotation, it's translated as care and concern. Same Greek word, translated differently with different connotations. An activity to be embraced and modeled or an activity to be uh, avoided. The activity of worry that is to be avoided or the activity of care and concern that's to be modeled and pursued. What's the difference between the two? Why is it sometimes translated in a positive light? Why is it sometimes translated in a negative light? What separates good concern from bad concern? It seems to be that the distinction between good concern and bad concern is simply a kind of concern that's preoccupied, preoccupied with self. That when the concern and the care is simply preoccupation with self, it's worry. But when it's preoccupation with another, it's therefore considered concern and care and it's good. My challenge for you guys over the next 10 days is as you walk through the stress and some of the pressure of this season and you feel worry, I want you to stop. And I want you to evaluate and ask yourself this question. Is my care and concern here primarily focused on myself and my circumstances and my situation and my future, or is it focused on someone else? It's really interesting as you walk through chapter 6, verse 25, notice the frequency of the pronoun that's used in verse 25. Jesus says, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Notice the frequency of the same pronoun over and over again, that their worry was all about their own circumstances. Notice verse 31 as well. Jesus says, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? That the kind of care and the kind of concern that's to be avoided, Jesus will say, is the one that's focused on yourself. Sometimes when the pressure mounts to such a level, especially in the season of finals, we get into self-survival mode, which is a telltale sign of what's going to happen when we begin to worry. Because worry, if you're going to define it, is always a preoccupation with ourselves. 
and a concern for ourselves. It's self-concern. And Jesus says, don't be worried. Don't be overly concerned with yourself. And it's not just an innocently uh, selfish kind of thing. That, that if we understand really what uh, worry is, and then really the next question is, why is it so bad? Is it simply just a concern with self? What Jesus is going to say as he walks through Matthew chapter 6, is he's going to show us that it is not just simply a concern with yourself. That the worry or the problem with worry is not just that you're selfish or that you're just thinking about yourself, but frankly, it's far more uh, cataclysmically troubling on a spiritual realm. Jesus is going to show us that there's three problems that result and are highlighted by our human normal tendency to worry. In fact, his command in verse 25, do not worry, actually comes off of a statement that he makes in 24. 25, he says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried. Well, what is the reason that provoked Jesus to say to not be worried? Notice verse 24. Verse 24 is going to highlight for you and I the first problem that we see behind worry. Jesus says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and he will love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. Jesus makes a statement in verse 24 that is absolutely true. That you and I will worship, you and I will serve something. And we have a choice in what we worship and what we serve. But in our choice, don't be confused to think that you can serve God and something else. Our God is not one that's in a pantheon of gods that either you serve God with all that you have or you can serve something else. And either what we're doing is we're either choosing God or an alternative to God. And in that choice, in that choice of worship, then Jesus says, don't be worried about your life. Well, what is the connection between our choice in worship and our tendency to worry? Really, the first problem that we see in the tendency to worry is that it reveals a problem in our worship. It reveals a problem in our worship. Because when you and I have a tendency to worry, what Jesus is saying is that it highlights and it shows a lack of confidence in the one that you call God. That tendency to worry that you think is absolutely normal and circumstantial, Jesus is saying you should avoid it because really when you do it, it shows that you lack confidence in the one that you worship and that you serve. And so what Jesus is going to do in Matthew chapter 6, the remaining from verse 25 on, is that he's going to make a case for why there ought to not be any lack of confidence in God. Why, why the, the nature of his existence means that you ought not worry at all. Notice what he says in verse 25. He says, uh, or verse 26, Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Jesus says, look, look at the birds of the air. Has God not fed them and taken care of them? Yes, and done quite well so. Then why do you worry about your life? Your tendency to worry shows and highlights a lack of confidence that you have in God. And what Jesus is going to do here is show that there ought not be any reason that you lack confidence in a God who is a creator and a giver of every good gift. You have no need to worry if you know him. Notice what he says also uh, in verse 28. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, that they do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. <laughs> that God feeds the animals better and he clothes the animals and the flowers of the field better than anything that you could imagine or that you could do for yourself. So why are you worried about your needs? It reveals a, a problem in your worship. <laughs> It reveals a problem in the one that you call God that you would have a tendency or even a willingness to worry, and yet we all do it. 
And what I want to do for you, and I think what Jesus is trying to do is show you the connection between your tendency to worry and your lack of confidence in the one that you call God. And Jesus is saying it doesn't compute. <laughs> that the God that we worship, the God that we call master, is one who can care for the, field, the flowers of the field and the animals of the world so magnificently. Why are you concerned about yourself? As you guys walk through the next 10 days and as you find yourselves in that normal tendency to stress out and to worry, I want you to stop and I want you to evaluate two things. One, is your worry primarily about yourself? And second, this, what does your worry reveal about your belief in God? What is it saying about your God that you would have that tendency to panic and shut down and worry? What does it say? Because really our human tendency to worry highlights three problems. And the first is a worship problem that it reveals that the one that we view as God, we have a problem in our view of him. And the second thing that it shows is that we have a problem in our view of life. It's not just a worship problem, it's also a worldview problem. That the way that we view life is off. Notice what Jesus says in verse 25 again. He says, I I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink or what your body is to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? that the human tendency to worry inevitably reduces your view of life upon the very thing that you are concerned about. Life gets boiled down into this one thing, which is why over the next 10 days, it's always hilarious for me to watch y'all's social media feeds because they go dark and they go silent. All of life just collapses down into this little bunker known as finals prep, right? All of life fades away. Uh, I, I had a, uh, know someone at one point who was trying to interview for a job and was so stressed and so zeroed in, focused, preoccupied, and anxiety about the interview that as they drove from College Station to Austin, they stopped at a gas station. Thinking about that interview, thinking about what they were going to say, overly anxious, overly prepping it, uh, put the gas nozzle in the car, was pumping the gas, finished that, got the receipt, got back in the car, continued to rehearse through uh, the interview and what was going to be said, and drove off. (laughs) Small little problem. In the midst of their preoccupation with that interview that was in Austin, they had forgotten to unhook the gas nozzle from the car and just took off. Probably wouldn't have known for some time if someone around, right alongside did not start screaming and yelling at them as they were driving off and as it, dis, uh, as it unhooked from the gas deal. Uh, and so that person ends up stopping, grabs the gas nozzle and the hose, walks into the manager and goes, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Here's your gas nozzle. I will pay for it. I will do whatever. I'm so sorry. And the manager, completely dumbfounded, says, you know what? <laughs> In all my years of owning a gas store, I, I've, I've never seen this happen. <laughs> This isn't in any kind of training manual. What do you do when the customer drives off with the gas nozzle? Like there's nothing there. Just completely dumbfounded. And so the person just apologized, took off, got back in the car and headed to Austin for the interview. But see, when you and I become absolutely zoned in and worried about an issue in life, our view of life boils down to that issue and we lose focus of everything else. That when you and I worry, we not just have a worship problem, we have a worldview problem and life gets boiled down to the very thing that we're worried about. And life becomes that. If I don't pass finals and I don't get a job and I don't have any money and then my life is ruined <laughs> and I'm homeless the rest of my life, right? <laughs> it just kind of unfolds like that. You're laughing because you're like, oh, that's what I'm thinking, right? Down deep. <laughs> See, when you and I have a tendency to worry, our view of life gets boiled down and reduced and diminished. And then here's the last problem. Your tendency to worry real is not just a problem with your view of God, not just a problem with your view of life, but lastly, a problem with your view of yourself. Your tendency to worry highlights a problem, not just with your view of God, not just with your view of life, but lastly, highlights a problem with your view of yourself. Notice what Jesus says. It's really interesting in verse 26. Speaking to the birds of the air, he says, Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
are you not worth much more than they? Jesus is trying to make an argument from the lesser to the greater. That if God can care for the birds of the air like this, then surely he will care for you even better because surely you are the pinnacle of his creation. If you read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. That if you're the pinnacle of his creation and if he'll do that for birds and if he does that for birds, arguing from the lesser to the greater, then surely he will do even better for you. Why are you worried? Why are you worried? Notice how he does it in verse 30. It says, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, which is not humanity, which was created in his image to be an eternal being. If God can so gloriously treat the grass of the field, which is going to be burned and thrown away forever, then surely he'll treat you differently, right? Uh, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? But for us, our tendency to worry often highlights the fact that we have a worth problem. It's not just our view of God is off. It's not just that our view of life is off, but we may believe that God is sovereign. We may believe that God is good. We may believe that God can care for those that he loves, and we may truly believe that he doesn't love us or that we're not worth something. And really, this is where the tendency to worry or anxiety isn't so cute, finding Nemo kind of cute. This is where it gets really drastic. This is where it gets really severe and troubling, frankly. And some of you guys have been in this place. Some of you guys... Uh, will find friends in this place in the pressure of finals where they will literally come to a place where they will wonder if their life has worth. And that normal human tendency to worry as it continues to move and grow and take over more of life, changing their view of God, changing their view of life, and eventually changing their view of themselves, where you get to a place where you really begin to wonder, does my life have worth? Is there a significance to my life? Do I even need to be here? And as you walk through finals, if it's you or if it's a friend that you see, man, please, I beg of you, reach out, talk to someone, talk to someone. The God of the universe who created you and gave his only son for you has forever and all marked and communicated that you have worth. In all of your brokenness, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for your sins, even in your brokenness, even when you were an enemy because he loved you so greatly because you were that valuable. And when worry begins to change our view of ourselves and begins to question our worth, it's not so cute anymore. And it begins to undermine our very existence. And if you're in that place this morning, please come grab me. Reach out to your table host. Uh, Maybe you're not in that place this morning, but maybe as you walk through the next 10 days, you're going to see someone who's going to go into that place where depression becomes normal, where suicide becomes questioned, and all of a sudden this human normal tendency to worry all of a sudden begins to show you how awful and ugly and destructive it can be. And if you're in that place, a counselor is helpful. Come talk to someone. Come talk to one of your table hosts. I don't want to see you move that place. That's why worry is so difficult. That's why worry is so bad. It's why it is to be avoided because it's not true. (laughs) That really the the way that we begin to avoid worry, the way that we begin to move away from is, is to ensure that our view of God is correct, our view of life is correct, and our view of ourselves is correct. And I don't know how you correct those views circumstantially in your life apart from what you see revealed in the scriptures. That is our testament to truth. So how do we avoid worry? Uh, The first thing that we do is we fix our view of God, we fix our view of life, and we fix our view of ourselves. And then secondly, two activities become present in in our lives when we begin to move past worry. That if you can't move past worry, then these two activities will not be seen in your life. 
But when your view of God is maintained correctly, your view of life is maintained correctly, and your view of yourself is maintained correctly, then these last two activities become present, and I want you to see them. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, the first comes in Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read you guys a very familiar passage when Paul says this, Be anxious for nothing. Avoid worry. Let it not be the state of your mind or the state of your heart. How? <laughs> All right, thanks, Paul. <laughs> How do I do that? But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That in the midst of the pressure of finals or the pressure of life, when our view of God is correct, our view of life is correct, and our view of ourselves is correct, then one of the two activities that we begin to see that it manifests in our life is prayer. The ability to come before a God that we believe exists, that we believe is strong, that is good, that loves us. We come before that God and we say, Lord, here are my anxieties that I do feel. I can't just not feel them. What I can do, though, is hand them off to you and let them be your burden. Because you are one who can carry them and you are one who can change my circumstances and I can't. And when we begin to do that, as Paul will say, the peace of God surpasses, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard our hearts and our minds. And all of a sudden, we begin to move through the stress and the pressure of finals and life in a very different way. Because we're walking with the Lord and we're getting perspective. We're getting a sense of there is one who is stronger than us, who handles our life and handles our circumstances. And here's the second thing we do. That when peace can guard our hearts and we begin, when he can move away from a preoccupation with our own cares and concerns, then we can see the cares and concerns that are around us. And the second activity that you see uh, for those that have a correct view of God, a correct view of life, a correct view of themselves is that they begin to serve. Uh, that's why uh, Jesus will say in chapter 6, verse 33, in the midst of this whole section, while you ought to worry, he then concludes in verse 33 and says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about their particulars. You have a God who knows what you need. You have a God who cares for you, who gave his only son for you so that you could have a relationship with him. You are valuable. So approach him in the midst of your time of need and find peace in the midst of that season. And as you find peace, expect that he's going to then open your eyes beyond just what you see of your need to the needs that are around you. And what I want to do is I want to challenge you guys in the midst of the next 10 days uh, is to not just pray for yourself, but pray that the Lord would give you eyes to see the needs that are around you and that you would be having an opportunity to serve others in the midst of this season. Let me give you guys three ideas of how you can serve and we'll shut it down here. Three different C's because I like to alliterate because I'm a preacher. All right, three C's, all right? First is calm, all right? Uh, you can serve those that are around you by actually walking with calmness in the next 10 days. We have this tendency to like outstress each other out. Like I have like six finals. Oh, you have two. Oh, I'll pray for you. But really, obviously, I have more than I'm carrying, right? So we just kind of like outcompete each other. Knock that off, right? Whether you have six or you have two, walk with a sense of peace and calm that is actually more of a service to those that are around you than your stressed out existence. And it draws them in and, asks them, and makes them ask, how are you maneuvering through this season in the way that you are? Well, I have a God, let me tell you about my God, a God who cares for me, a God who provides peace in the midst of stress. The second thing that you can serve in, uh, second C, is coffee, all right? If you're not stressed out about your own deal, then you're going to see others are stressed out, and so move towards them with coffee, chemical joy, all right? Uh, if Jesus is our peace in this season, your calm uh, highlights his peace. If Jesus is our joy in this season, then the coffee you bring highlights his joy, all right? That's how I believe, all right? Uh, but serve those that are around you. It may not be coffee, but look toward the needs of those that are around you. They're going, hey, they're stressed out. How can you help relieve their stress? How can you help serve them if you're not so zoned in on your own deal? 
And then the third C, the third thing that you can do to serve this, uh, win- this winter, this final season is compassion. Uh, look around you and have compassion on the needs of others. And it may not just be your classmates, it may be the community at large. One of the things that we're doing even as a church right now is kind of a Christmas co-op program in which we're trying to bring in toys and gifts uh, for the community at large so that we can be a blessing to the community, not just giving them free stuff, but letting uh, parents come in and buy stuff at a much reduced cost so that they actually can feel like they are providing for their kids and we can bless the kids as well that way. And so uh, it's not just charity in which they feel uh, in a sense that it's, uh, it's insulting, but it's a kind of charity that really is empowering to the parents and a blessing to the kids as well. And so one of the ways you can do that is simply bring in some lightly or some new, new kinds of gifts and you bring them here to Southwood uh, over the next week uh, up until the 15th, in which we're going to then gift those and hand those off to families that are here in the community. A great thing that you guys can do. Calm, coffee, and compassion, all right? Uh, walking through this season in a way that is incredibly distinct than everything else that you've experienced before, maybe, and everything else you're going to see around you. What would it look like if we walked through the season in a profoundly different way that caused people to wonder why? And that we could speak of a Jesus and a Savior that we have who is our peace, who is our joy, and who is our hope. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we give you an amazing uh, thankfulness uh, that you would send your only son in a manger uh, for us, uh, that you would step into the course of human history, that you would give your only son so that we could be redeemed out of our sin, so that in the midst of stress, we could find peace. In the midst of despair, we could find hope. In the midst of guilt, we could find forgiveness. In the midst of exclusion, we could find love. And Father, I pray this, uh, this morning, Lord, as we walk through this season in the next 10 days, Lord, I, lo- I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to walk with you through it, to not put you on the shelf and come back to you December 17th or 18th, uh, Lord, but that we would meet with you daily through the season, and that you would give us perspective, that you would give us a peace that would transcend understanding, that you would allow us to walk through the season profoundly different, knowing you more deeply in the season than we did prior to it or even after it. Lord, allow us to not sideline you, but might you invade the next 10 days. Might we walk with you. Might we hear your voice, see your leading, and see your hand, Lord. Father, this is what we ask for. We ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. The rest of the morning is at your tables. It's fun seeing you guys this morning.